freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode number 365 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearmsauctions.com, where you set the price on guns, ammo, and accessories. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. Our theme today is Countering Anti-Gun Propaganda, and our guest today is Eric Pratt. Eric is the Senior Vice President for Gun Owners of America, which is a national grassroots organization representing more than 2 million Americans dedicated to promoting their Second Amendment freedom to keep and bear arms. And Eric has just authored an important new book titled Firing Back, How to Counter anti-gun propaganda and become a better to a activist welcome to the show eric it is great to be here uh thank you both for having me back well this book is i mean we'd have you back anyway but this book really got me excited and i was so eager to have you on and and dissect it dive into it but I was also very honored that uh, you asked me to, to write one of the little reviews on the back. And um, so thank you for that. And thank you for this book. You're welcome. And thank you so much for uh, the, the quote on the back uh, for reviewing it. I greatly appreciate that. Absolutely. My honor. So um, the, the title of it, I think, is so interesting. I mean, it's perfect. But in this day and age where we have to, you know, parse and sift and, and be so careful about our phraseology, because, you know, lest we incite a, via, uh, a, a riot or an insurrection by saying, you know, the word firing back, right? Okay, we're just firing back with words, calm down people. But <laughs> I, I love that, you know, you, you were bold with this. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, that's, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of firing back, as you said, we're talking about words and, and really it's uh, countering the myths that are out there and trying to educate people uh, with the truth. So uh, that's the, the, the core of the book. And speaking of truth, you, your family has lived through uh, this whole reality that governments can, will, and do turn on their citizenry. They become overbloated, they become tyrannical. And, you know, maybe a couple of years ago here in the United States, people could easily go, Psh, oh, pshaw, right? That'll never happen. Well, we're seeing it everywhere now. 
but your family has personal experience with this um, not so very long ago. And it even, you know, it related to disarming the citizens and what the government can do once citizens are disarmed. Can you kind of dive into that for us? Yeah, uh, this is something my family has lived through. My, I should say my mother is a native Panamanian uh, and she's from a political family. Uh, true fact, my great grandfather on her side signed the Declaration of Independence for Panama in 1903 when they broke away from Colombia. And my mom's uncle, so my great uncle, won the presidency in the 1960s. And so, of course, that's an exciting thing for our family, right? Well, yes. he was only president for a couple of weeks because a military coup took over the presidency and it remained that way for a couple of decades. And, you know, the, the point is this, and, and this is the point that I develop in the book, having free elections is not enough. You know, the Panamanians had a saying, this land is not fertile soil for tyranny. This was before the coup, <laughs> right? But see, that just shows it's not enough to simply have this belief in freedom. Even having a constitution like they do that's based upon our constitution is not enough. You've got to have firearms. The people have to be armed because if the government has most of the guns, you're always going to be this close from tyranny. And, and that's what the people of Panama discovered, that if you lack the deterrent to tyranny, you become sitting ducks. And, and so this is one of the major themes of the book, that guns are a deterrent to any dictatorship. And that's an important message, I think, that people need to understand today. Boy, absolutely. Um, there's a comedian out there. I, I think he would categorize himself as a comedian, J.P. Sears. And I don't know if you even know who that is, but we've enjoyed his, uh, his humor videos for quite a while. He used to be sort of like a yoga Zen guy who would make fun of, you know, like health kicks or whatever. And since all of this COVID lockdown and, and mandates, he has become very highly critical uh, through his humor of, you know, the the oppression of the government and these sorts of things. And he just this past week uh, kind of outed himself. He said, look, I'm going to show you guys a video that I did years ago where I was very anti-gun and mm. I have evolved. I, I now understand. And it was because of personal experience. It's, it's, I guess, unfortunate in a way that we have to wait until it is on our own doorstep before right. we have that awakening, uh, many of us, but um, I think that we can learn from other people's experiences. And when you share your families and JP shares his kind of, you know, learning arc, I think that helps other people understand that, okay, what I thought yesterday doesn't necessarily define how I have to think and behave and speak tomorrow. What do you think mm -hmm. about that? Yeah, it's kind of the old adage that a conservative is a former liberal that got mugged. And no, you're right. A lot of times people do have to, um, you know, almost uh, suffer the, the consequences of their thinking or, or you know, some sort of uh, tragedy that helps them see that uh, the, the futility of, of, of their thinking. Uh, hopefully, you know, it doesn't come to that. And really, that's you know, what the book, my book is aimed at doing is, is presenting truth so that 
you know, people don't have to get mugged uh, so that they can put on right thinking. And one of the challenges is, is for, you know, people who are already into guns just to realize that, you know, you can have your whole man cave full of guns. That doesn't make you a gun rights activist because a gun rights activist is not only fighting for your own right to keep and bear arms, but you're also fighting for everybody else's and the next generation's. Uh, because our rights are under attack. So, you know, it, it, it's really important to be involved. And so, you know, there's a message there for, you know, even for the people who like, yeah, I know all this and, you know, I believe all this and I got tons of guns, but then my challenge is, okay, then what are you doing to protect that very important right? Yeah, back in the old days, we, you know, when I was a kid, we used to have guns and everybody kept quiet about it. We didn't talk about our guns, mainly because we didn't want them to get, you know, stolen. <clears throat> but nowadays, um, I think with women coming into the field, the way they are coming in, they talk, mm. right? And they talk and they get, they... Wait, <laughs> he's such a brave man. Are, are you going so to smack him? I know, right? <laughs> I'm ready to, yeah. But, but, but that's a good We're thing. We're social creatures. They, I think that's right, what, can right. I interpret? Well, We're social so That's talk. what he's trying to say, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it's really good because I have seen, just since we started this radio show, I have seen a big difference mm -hmm. that when women get involved, they socialize <laughs> and, and that networking, right? That's true. Guys don't, we didn't do that back then. Mm -hmm. the, maybe the younger generation is, but we didn't do it. <laughs> so, you know, we, you know, I had a gun shop in the seventies and I go, yeah, and, you know, it's not my problem. It's not my problem. How stupid I was, you know? Mm. And my dad was super active in fighting for gun control and against gun control mm -hmm. and he uh you know he couldn't get me to budge on it you know i mean i'd help him hand out flyers and do stuff but i feel bad that he didn't get to see what we have become what cheryl and i have become that we mm. are fighting the fight but people do have to get off their their sofas and and talk go to events and voice you know talk to people so absolutely well i i love that we all are at least second generation maybe maybe third generation we don't really know that much in our family beyond uh danny's dad but second generation of people who are really you know walking the talk and putting our money where our mouths are so uh and talking about you know the whole idea that you know people might have a gajillion guns or or maybe they bought their first gun and people are like oh yay you know all these millions of first time brand new gun owners and now they're gonna understand why we you know fire back with words and and fight the fight and and that doesn't happen automatically as we're saying and a lot of that is because of the tidal wave of misinformation that comes at us every single day from politicians from you know whatever you would call mainstream media and you know for those that are not maybe tuned into how the other side uses phraseology and how we have this war of words out there, can you kind of, you know, unpack that a little bit and say, why was right now the moment that you chose to write firing back? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, by God's grace, I, I've been in this fight for over 30 years. And, and like you all, uh, I'm second generation, too, because my dad was fighting this fight for, for decades. Um, but, but also like you, too, I, you know, I've under, I understand how the schools and the mainstream media, I mean, they're just pumping out misinformation. It's very frustrating. And a lot of that is why I had a burden to write this book, because I see how good people get frustrated by the big media and, and they despair because the mainstream media has such a wide reach. But my encouragement in the book is this, focus on what you can control and don't get frustrated by what you can't change. And so, again, my book gives practical ways that people can make a difference, but really it all starts with making sure that people know the truth. And that's why the book spends a good bit of time shooting down many of the anti-gun myths that people frequently hear, things like the false ideas that uh, you know, the United States has one of the highest murder rates in the world, false, or, or the idea that we can create safe zones by banning guns in certain places, false, you know, all, all these are false cl uh, claims, we hear them all the time, but what I do is I give people the truths that will help them counter that misinformation, because it's important that people know gun control has failed everywhere it's been tried, and guns save lives. Those are two themes that keep getting repeated over and over and over again in the book. And I think that's very important. Uh, two uh, pillars uh, of a message to understand. It's crazy to me that we have such a, a rich and detailed and, you know, categorized history of what happens when the government disarms the citizenry. And, and even in current times, we have the example of Venezuela, we have the example of Australia, and somehow people still seem to have this veil over their eyes and they, they just keep saying, yeah, but this is the United States, it can't happen here, or- but Why can't it happen here? That's the question. It can't because we have a constitution to protect us and we lose that, we've lost it all, but they don't They don't go that far. They only go to the next thing, just that's far as they go. They don't look. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have answered that. <laughs> no, that's okay. It's frustrating to me. It is really frustrating because we see that. I mean, look at what a year ago, Venezuela, look at the, it was in every news ever out there and we just, we just follow it. We're following it. We're we're in this. We're in their footsteps right now. Well, absolutely. I believe we are. I, it, and it terrifies me to think that we are on what I'm calling the Venezuela timeline. Mm. And uh, you know, I feel like everything's been sped up towards tyranny through the COVID years. But at the same time, there's a lot of people that have been shaken awake, shooken awake, whatever the right word is. <laughs> to say, oh, wait a minute, maybe it can happen here. And that could be the, the silver lining through all of this. But you give some secrets to the best way the advocates of the Second Amendment can verbally, verbally fire back. Um, can you, you know, divulge some of those now without giving it away and people feeling like, oh, well, he already told us everything. So Right. <laughs> Well, one thing that's critical, and this is where the book starts, um, and, and it's a foundational truth. We have to start with this. Everyone, all people, 
they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And that's what our Declaration of Independence says. And those words are a real game changer. See, our rights are not given to us by the government. They're not privileges. Our rights come from God. And that's why we can't compromise. We can't support uh, waiting periods or gun bans or gun-free zones. And that's why at gun, gun Owners of America, we're working so hard to repeal gun control. You know, it's no wonder that our founding fathers said that the sec <clears throat> Second Amendment or in the Second Amendment that our right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed because th these two concepts go, go hand in hand. If our rights are given to us from God, then government has to keep their hands off those rights. And really, it's only with this as a starting point that we as Second Amendment advocates can forcefully argue that all gun control is is ineffective, that it's unconstitutional, and really that it's dangerous and shouldn't be supported at all. So when you say that our rights are endowed by our creator, you understand that in a certain way, we understand that in a certain way, uh, we're, we're practicing Christians. Um, but what about the person that is, you know, not religious in any way or you know atheistic in their thinking that particular argument how do we how do we help them understand that you know it, it however they would like it phrased it still is not for the government to give or take away mm -hmm. yeah it's like having a, a toolbox you know you got a bunch of tools and not every tool always uh, will be used at any particular time. Mm -hmm. And so when you're dealing with people, you kind of have to assess where they're coming from. And, and you're right that uh, that argument may not, you know, some people may not be ready for that argument. Where I find that that's the most useful argument is people who already consider themselves to be with us, but they support you know, little compromises here and there that they're willing to, to give ground. So, you know, they're, they're pro-gun, they consider themselves pro-gun, but they might support a background check or they might support uh, this or that. And that's where I think this can be very useful is to help them understand that, look, our rights, you know, there's either a, a, a line in the sand, you know, uh, or, or there's not. Uh, because if if really these rights are just privileges from government, then in the end, we, we could end up like Venezuela, just little by little, you know, chipping away. But on the other hand, if our founding fathers are right, that our rights do come from God, then there's no negotiating. The, the, the government cannot infringe on these in, in any way. And that's why we you know, we do draw such a hard line and we say, we're not going to, you know, you may take it from us, but we're not going to voluntarily give it away and say, uh, you know, uh, you're, you know, you come to us and say, uh, we want to ban 200 guns. And we say, oh, how about we just limited it to 20 and we'll call it a day. You know, that's like a, a thief putting his gun in your ribs and saying, give me a hundred dollars. And you say, well, how about if I just give you 50 and, uh, you know, and, and, and act I won't, like you weren't robbed, right? And act like exactly. <laughs> yeah, See, and you and give I'm, them the fifty, and then they come back and down and want the rest of it right afterwards. Bing, bingo. That, right. That's and and sadly, uh, that has happened a lot as how people have tried to defend <clears throat> the Second Amendment, and that's a losing 
proposition. And so that's why I think this argument uh, is really, really important for us to grab a hold of it and start there, that our rights come from God, just as the founders uh, said. Well, you know, Eric, you know, I, I agree with everything you're saying 100% because I've seen it. But back in the, the 70s, you know, like I said I had a gun shop and um, they didn't have background checks. We just had 4473s. They fill out the form. And many times the ATF come in and tried to accuse us of falsifying on these forms. And so when the background check thing came, stupidly, I thought, well, this is good because it protects me now. But it didn't. But they, they find ways to make, you know, we, we want to be responsible gun owners. We want citizens that are legally, you know, that are legal abiding citizens to carry, to be able to carry a gun. But they trick you into thinking, well, we'll just get the bad people off the streets and then it, everything will be okay. But really, the people that they're infringing on are the good people. Right. The bad people already can't have a gun. A felon That's can't right. own a gun. And so, uh, but they trick you. They, they make you think, well, this is a good law. This is a good deal. But then, and once that law is in, it's yeah, in. It's in. It's in. There's yep. nothing you can do about it. So, you know, they, everybody think, oh, background check. What's wrong with a background check? Well, come into my come into my store and sit at the counter and watch it when a person wants to buy a gun, can't buy a gun, and he's not a felon. Mm -hmm. But he still can't buy a gun and has to go through 60 days of, of fighting to get a gun. Mm -hmm. That's an infringement. Right. Yeah. And in some cases, that can be deadly if it's a person who, uh, especially like a woman who needs a gun in an emergency uh, because she's being uh, harassed by somebody. Um, and there have been actual very tragic cases where women have died waiting through a waiting period. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, you know, and whereas, as you just said, the, the, it, <laughs> those background checks never stop the criminals from getting guns. Never, no. never, never since the beginning of time, bad guys have gotten their hands on rocks, clubs, spears, you know, whatever was the technology of the day. And the weird thing is that the people that do a background check that can't buy a gun and are denied a gun, that would have been a perfect tool to weed out the criminals and they don't go after them. No. Right. They don't do anything to them. So how does that not, that tells you they're just wanting to control guns. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, oh. sure. It's very frustrating. Well, and then that same kind of thought process, you know, there's so many people that say, well, you know, a gun-free zone, it helps make our children safe at our schools, right? And, you know, wherever else they've come up with these gun-free zones, and you always have to use air quotes, you can actually pick <laughs> up your hands and do this when you say gun-free zones, because it's only a gun-free zone until somebody brings a gun in. And who might want to bring a gun into a gun-free zone and misuse it? A bad guy. Right. Because he's betting that all the responsibly armed citizens, the law abiding citizens are following the rules. So, you know, that is one of the things you talk about in your book is that gun free zones are actually the opposite of what is sold to the public. It's sold to the public like the safest place on earth. And yet, what have we seen over the years, Eric? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, let's unpack this. The, the truth is that guns are used in this country 16 
to 100 times more often to save life than to take life. And that was revealed by a CDC study during the Obama administration. But, you know, as you're pointing out, a lot of people don't understand this. And so you see officials trying to ban guns all over the place, creating these safe zones, gun-free zones. I'll give you an example where this, this just totally fails. Hospital in Darby, Pennsylvania, like many hospitals around the country, it's a gun-free zone. And of course, the assumption behind gun-free zones is that guns are too dangerous for the average person, uh, that uh, the gun-free zones will keep the bad guys with guns away from the area, as you were pointing out, Cheryl. And if there's ever an emergency, uh, the assumption is the police will be there to protect them in time. Well, all those assumptions got shattered when a deranged guy who actually got a hold of several illegal guns, he was a prohibited person, was still able to get several guns. He went armed to that Darby hospital. He walked, ironically, right past the gun-free zone sign with his, you know, a gun on him, shot and killed a person and was actually attempting to kill more people. Police say he was actually intending to kill lots of people. But thankfully, he was stopped by one of the doctors there. Now, there's kind of another irony there because the doctor was a concealed carrier, but of course he had himself secretly ignored the gun-free zone sign. I think a lot of people think that way, that the only way you're ever going to find that a, a person is carrying, a good guy is carrying illegally is if he has to use it in self-defense. Well, that was the case with this doctor. And so he shoots and stops the guy, stops the bad guy. And, you know, thankfully uh, the police, rather than condemning the doctor praised him for saving countless lives, which shows that there's still some sanity left in this world. The doctor wasn't charged, you know, hallelujah for that. But here's the point, guns save lives. And again, all the gun control in the world, whether it's gun-free zones or background checks or whatever, you know, you can dream up the restriction. They never stop the bad guys from getting guns. And so, you know, once again, th those two themes, gun saving lives, gun control failing. I mean, those are just two themes that are repeatedly hammered home uh, in this book over and over again. I look at a gun-free zone sign is the same as if I carried a sign that you had to put on your head that would say, I'm carrying this much cash with me and I'm on arm. Oh, wow. It's no different, right? Because then the, the criminal could decide who has the most money mm. and go after that one instead of going after you. Yeah. It's it's so stupid. I see those gun-free zone signs and it's just, what is, how does anybody think that means anything? It, it is crazy that we buy into that uh, the ways that, in the ways that we do. And I, I actually had not heard the Darby, Pennsylvania story before. And I, I think that we need to share those kinds of stories more often so that it, it shows people how true and how often these things happen. And um, there's an organization uh, called Doctors for Responsible Gun mm -hmm. Ownership, the DRGO. And, uh, you know, I love how vocal they are and that they use statistics and, you know, they are out there speaking because so often we're told, well, you know, doctors are absolutely against guns and, you know, they're healers. So they would never, you know, use a firearm to harm someone. Well, this doctor, he wasn't trying to harm someone. He was trying to save other people mm -hmm. by stopping a threat. And even that distinction, I think people get, you know, too wrapped around the wheel. Um, 
and the statistics help them. If you look right now, you know, when they try to uh, say there's all of these incidents of gun violence, right? Well, what they'll do is they'll take this doctor's good action and they'll put that in that pile of statistics as gun violence, right? Instead of helping us see that, no, that was stopping violence of any kind, right? Yeah, and when you look at the statistics, it's really uh, dramatic. When you look at mass shootings, 90% of them occur in these gun-free zones. Uh, this gets back to what Dan was saying. It's almost like they're, uh, it, they're actual magnets uh, attracting the bad guys. And, and when you actually hear the things that they write and they say either before or after uh, their uh, attempted assault on people, uh, you find that actually they, they did specifically target these areas because they were gun-free zones. So yeah, they're, they're a bad idea because it, it disarms people and they're a bad idea because it attracts uh, the, you know, the bad guy to say, hey, here's a bunch of sheep who can't protect themselves. And you know, thankfully in, in the Darby case, there, there was a doctor who surprised them. Yeah. Eric, how many gun shops do you know that's been robbed by one person? <laughs> yeah, to ask the question is to no, laugh, you know, right? Right, 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 because right, how many? <laughs> I mean, have there been or, where they they raided a, a, a store? Yes, but for a guy to, you know, in our neighborhood, there's several shops that's been arm robbed, okay? Our gun shop's never been robbed. I, I wonder why. Is it because well, and if they're they, going to do it, if they're going to do it, they probably do it at night, right? When, right, when right. nobody's there. Right, about where you're walking physically yes. and rob somebody. You know, so. Because they pretty much know right. that they're going to be met with resistance that so they just, don't want to be so that's with. that's the same as the subliminal uh, uh free free zone right fire yeah. uh, free uh gun, gun zone, free zone. Because free zone the yep. bakeries and stuff like that little mom and pop shops yeah. so i mean just look at it that way yeah the gun free zone it, when you first hear it you think oh are they giving away guns there that's, yeah. <laughs> that's what it should be right all right <clears throat> so uh what do you say eric to people who have this idea and i don't know if it predated the obama presidency or not but he, he was so fond of saying you know mass shootings and gun violence doesn't happen in other nations and and i forget the the qualifier that he used but industrializing it whatever right he's trying to say in in polite society right there are that's not how Obama sounds. No, oh, okay. No. Um, I don't won't even try to do a, an impression of anyone. But um, so people that insist that other countries out there where the governments have already disarmed the citizens, well, those are the safe places, right? They're civilized. They're above all of this, you know, what are these ugly tools that you Americans are so in love with, right? What do you say to people? that have that idea so firmly locked in their brain that they won't just look at the reality of the places we've talked about, Venezuela, most recently, Australia. Go on. Look yeah, this, this is one of the greatest myths that's out there. Uh, the idea that our country is so much more dangerous than other countries. And of course, they're saying this because, uh, you know, we are the world leader when it comes to being armed. 
So, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to make this equation. We're, we're dangerous because of all the guns and we're far more dangerous than any other country. The truth is when you actually look at murder rates worldwide, we are not even in the top 100 murder rates in the world. I mean, truly there are more than 100 countries on this planet with higher murder rates than we have. And guess what? Those countries are countries like Venezuela and, and the countries we were just talking about that have uh, you know much stricter gun control than we do. So all these countries with, with their uh, higher murder rates than, than we do, the, the top 100 uh, countries with murder rate, uh, higher murder rates, they all have stricter gun control. So tell me how gun control is making them, them safer. See, here's the sad truth. When countries disarm their citizens, they're actually put in a very dangerous situation. We've been talking about Venezuela, um, but uh, in the 20th century, I mean, there were several countries that disarmed their people, and then it was followed by horrific massacres of defenseless people. And, you know, we're talking about countries like Nazi Germany, Soviet Union, China, Cambodia, Turkey, Rwanda. I mean, this is the chief reason that our founding fathers inserted the Second Amendment into the Bill of Rights. They wanted to prevent oppression like this, and they wanted armed people to be the final check against a tyrannical government. So that that's the truth. It's worked well here. Uh, but where guns have been taken away, that's where they become sitting ducks for tyranny. And I agree 100% with you. And let's just use the United States as an example. Let's go to the states and, and cities that outlaw guns, that are they have the toughest ban laws. Where is most of our crime coming from? It's coming from those cities. Yes. Chicago. I mean, look at <laughs> Chicago. You can't walk into the store and buy a gun in Chicago without the Pope blessing you, right? <laughs> right? But where is the highest amount of crime? Chicago, Arizona. Yeah, all, you can walk in and the... buy a gun in Arizona without, you know, same day, walk out with it, right? Mm -hmm. How? What's the crime rate in Arizona versus Chicago? Exactly. But they say, well, Chicago, the guns are coming from other states. We got guns coming from other states, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so there it is right there. I mean, but that's, that's and of course, that's saying. always that's always a blame shifting argument. Oh, the guns are coming from other states. OK, well, let's just assume for a second they are. How come those other states don't have the same crime problem that Chicago does right. or Baltimore does? Right. I mean, so in other words, it's not the guns that are the problem because the guns aren't causing the problem when they start in those other states. They only become a problem when they wind up in a city where uh, not only do they have strict gun control, but inevitably you've got DAs that are throwing criminals back on the street. They're not right. prosecuting criminals. I mean, so th there's a whole lot that's contributing to it. Right. It's no wonder that that, uh, that they're far more dangerous there. So I have, can I can I go with a hypothetical question, Eric, if you don't mind? Mm -hmm. Sure. If they took away all the gun-free zones in the United States, all of them, do you think that there would be less mass shootings? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, as we were talking about earlier, 90% of them now occur in gun-free zones. So right. you would still possibly have some, uh, but a far, far drastically less uh, of a number than we have today. Right. Well, keep in mind where guns are completely illegal in countries, they still have mass shootings. Right. So th that, 
I'm just, I'm just saying that, you know, it all comes together. If you just look, it all comes together. Well, that would mean that we would have to have a public that engages in critical thinking, which I don't believe they're even right. teaching in schools anymore. Right. And, and, and logic, like understanding the flow of logic. I was talking about it, the logic train has fallen off the tracks. And yeah. sometimes I don't know whether I should uh, hold responsible in my mind the politicians and the media, because I do think they are definitely in collusion together. It's become more and more evident uh, nowadays than it was not that long ago. Or if I should hold responsible in my mind the public for just just gobbling it down like a baby bird without even thinking about what's being said and and these examples that we're talking about. Um, but I think that a book like Firing Back, if people, you know, read it, I know a bunch of people are going to buy it, but they might just go, okay, I got it. I'm going to stick it on the shelf. If they'll actually read it, now they're responsible for the information. And that's what I'm hoping for because there's such good and rich and valuable information in here. And among those uh, involves our mutual friend, Maj Ture, who we just absolutely love. Uh, you mentioned Darby, Pennsylvania. He's from Pennsylvania. Um, mm -hmm. But he's been saying for years that not only is gun control racist, but all gun control is racist and has its roots in racism. You discuss this in chapter seven. Uh, can you kind of walk us through some of the reasons why that would be true? Absolutely. I, you know, honestly, we could spend an hour just going through example after example to, to highlight this. But I mean, just look at our early concealed carry permit laws, which were applied in a discriminatory fashion in our history. I mean, if you were white, you would be approved if you were a minority, you would inevitably be denied. And a classic case in point, of course, is Martin Luther King Jr., who even after his home was bombed in 1956, he was denied the right to get a concealed carry permit by the state of Alabama. And I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so many examples like that. But what's really exciting about that chapter uh, seven that you just mentioned is that it answers a common objection that people sometimes bring up, you know, and they'll say something like, okay, you know, besides the American war for independence, are there examples where average people have used their guns to resist tyranny? You know, cause some people have this idea that, oh, that could never happen today. You know, in, uh, in you know, a day where there's nukes and things like that, you're just not gonna have people using guns to resist tyranny. But the truth is there's a lot of examples and primarily coming from the black community. You know, one of my favorite examples is, is hearing former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice talking about how her dad would arm himself and patrol the neighborhood at night when she was a kid. And he would do this with other uh, dads on the block. And they did this because the Southern police departments were looking the other way when the KKK would show up to terrorize the neighborhoods. And in one case, um, not in her neighborhood, but another one, Blacks had uh, stockpiled military weapons, which were, you know, of course, the so-called assault weapons of the day. But anyway, they used those rifles to shoot out more than 80 cars of the Klansmen when they showed up to murder one of the leaders in the NAACP. So guns were very useful in defending innocent lives 
against officially sanctioned abuse. And, you know, this gets to what we were just talking about. Gun control has never been about safety. It's about control. And that's certainly one of the lessons from the civil rights era. But so is the truth that guns are a huge, huge defense against tyranny, which is, again, uh, exactly why our founding fathers wanted the Second Amendment in the Bill of Rights. Boy, exactly. You know, you look at that, you say, okay, how how could we go against the government with their nukes and all their jet fighters and everything else? But then I look back in World War II when Germany took over France and took all their guns away and how those people fought in pockets to help declare independence. And and they they gave them quite a fight. And I would rather give quite a fight than to be a slave. Absolutely. So we need to start wrapping up. And the final chapter of your book is actually a challenge to people to use the information that they've been made responsible for uh, and, and put into practice the activism you discuss in the book. Can you kind of tease that a little bit for us? Absolutely. I, I would say this, no matter where you're at in life right now, you know, whether you're a, a student uh, or a parent, a professional, whatever it is, this book will show you how you can make a difference. You know, perhaps the most powerful thing you can do as a form of outreach is to take a friend who's not pro-gun to the range. I mean, my family uh, has done this. I, I talk about this in the book. It makes a huge, huge difference. Uh, we've seen uh, people's views change in doing that. But uh, one, of, I think one of the most powerful things you can do to safeguard your Second Amendment rights is to join forces with other people so you can multiply your efforts as you put heat on your legislators. Of course, the best way you can do that is by joining a Second Amendment organization. And, you know, that's one of the things that at Gun Owners of America we specialize in. We make it really easy for people to take action. Uh, when you're getting our emails or our mailings, I mean, in less than a minute, you can send one of our postcards or one of our emails, or you can sound off on legislation that affects your Second Amendment rights. Just a quick example, in 2004, the Feinstein semi-auto ban was sunsetting and Democrats were trying to reimpose the ban. Well, we deluge senators' desks with an unbelievable avalanche of postcards, and it worked. We were able to help solidify opposition to renewing the ban. And one Senate office said that it was the GOA postcards that killed the semi-auto ban. The National Journal that year said it was GOA that torpedoed any chance of renewing the ban that year. But in all honesty, it was the loud voices of grassroots members. So see, those are just a couple of things that people can do to safeguard our, our rights. I mean, there's other ideas there uh, in the book, but you know, taking people to the range, joining forces with GOA, sending emails. I mean, those are two great ways to help safeguard our, our liberties. That is fantastic. And it really does matter that we speak up to our legislators. We are constantly being told we live in a democracy, a democracy, a democracy. Well, we are a, a government that is supposed to represent the people, yeah. right? A republic, how, yeah. A republic. And how can our representatives represent us if we're silent all the time? If right. we never tell them what we want them to do and say to represent our side of the story. Um, and the other book, side is a lot more noisy. 
it, oh man, they never take a no. nap. And it seems like we have hit the snooze button way too many times. So uh, this book will definitely help uh, people understand better um, how to verbalize the things that they already believe in their heart to be true and help them understand the importance of speaking up and verbally firing back. As we go out, Eric, tell folks how they can get this book and continue to follow all of the amazing work that you do. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Um, people can follow me on Twitter at Eric M. Pratt, and that's Eric with a C-H. Um, if you go to our website at gunowners.org, I encourage you sign up for our free email alerts. And yeah, people can get a copy of the book there uh, in our bookstore uh, at gunowners.org. And of course, we're on you know Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. So you know, so, you know follow us on all those platforms. But you know, gun owners of America, we're putting out a lot of good info. And uh, those, so those are just different ways that people can, can get this information. And, and I hope people will do that. Fantastic. And not everybody's is going to have a personalized uh, <laughs> note like mine does. Oh, you're will, flaunting it. <laughs> I will treasure. Thank you so, so yes. much. Eric, thank you sincerely for everything that you're doing and your organization is doing. It's a, a blessing. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you both. Thank you for what you're doing too. And thanks for having me on and thanks for uh, educating people. Cause I, I know you guys are doing this uh, constantly as well. And that's greatly appreciated. Thanks so much. God bless. We will talk to you soon. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, he's right. You know, people just joining the organization is not enough. Right. You got to get out I mean, there and you got to join. Right. At least join. <laughs> All right. But, but you got to get out there and you got to, you got to, engage mm -hmm. you've got to you know you can't just sit on the couch and let somebody else do it because it's not going to get done well and if you thought that maybe sitting on the couch and advocating or abdicating that responsibility would get it done let's look at what's happened over the past how many years 50 well just look just let's just look at last year Yes. I mean, that was enough right there. And too many of us said it's on the couch. That's true. So we've already had that experiment and yeah. we see the results. How about we have another experiment uh, in you listening, right. you and, watching, and me. personally being involved? I, I enjoyed history in school. Mm -hmm. I'm, it's probably one of my best subjects that I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. I collected coins. So I, you know, I related to other countries and stuff like that. Uh, so world geography, the whole works. And I collected coin from Panama. Mm -hmm. Very interesting because a lot of the coins were made in the United States for Panama. And I had no idea what he just told me. Yeah. So guess what I have to do? Right. I have to go figure it out. Yes. Because it's in the, it was in the 1960s. I was alive then. Why, why don't I know about that? I don't know. And we've known Eric for so many right. years. And I only learned about that by reading this book. Right. And I feel like if I was him, I would lead with that constantly. Right. Look, yeah. this is what happens. <clears throat> and how do I know? Because it happened in my own family. And my lifetime, you know. I mean, that is it's yeah. different about his generational stuff. But mm -hmm. in nineteen sixties, this is kind of now. Well, not now for for my generation, it's mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. We were there. Yeah. Absolutely. This, you know, Kennedy got shot, the whole all that stuff's happening. And we knew not I knew nothing about Panama. Yeah. Yes, there's so much that we you know, we just need to stay curious and we need to invest our time in learning from, you know, walk, walking the footsteps of people who have come before. 
so that we give the best opportunity to those who maybe they're not even born yet, but their footsteps will carry on right. for us. But I cannot say enough amazing things about the information that you will find in this book. It's it's not overwhelming. It's in uh, small enough bite sizes that you can absorb kind of each chapter as you go. Uh, he's got footnote note footnotes. Foot news. I'm foot news. Everybody got a foot news galore. Um, so you can go. Well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, he showed you a footnote, so you can go check it out for yourself. So anyway. I want this book to fly off the shelves. I want it to fly out of Amazon. Fly and we want it to fly the, out of your voice that you that you're store. spreading the word. Yes, fly out of the bookstore from Gun Owners America. Um, this book can really make a difference in your personal life, and that's where everything starts. And then you'll talk to your friends and they'll tell two friends and they'll tell two friends but all right we've got to get on out of here so uh thank you so much to our amazing friend eric pratt for all that he does and for taking all of this time to be with us thank you to our amazing listeners all across the world wherever there's internet you all are engaged and you are curious and you're hungry for the information that our subject matter experts present here and that's so that's everything. I mean, we can have this amazing conversation with Eric over dinner, but to have it here where we can share it with so many people now, you know, again, you can take that into your carpool and discuss it and around the dinner table and discuss it. And, and that's really where the change happens um, for the, for the good. So thank you for that. And uh, if you want to watch any of our past episodes, and you like the video version, then go to the YouTube, uh, our YouTube channel, and please click to subscribe and get notifications. You can go to uh, GunStreamer, which is kind of the gun-friendly version of YouTube, or the OpsLens smartphone app. And if you like to just listen to it without audio, then uh, you can go to our website, gunfreedomradio.com, click the on-demand tab, and binge listen to your heart's content all of the episodes we have there click the guest tab you'll see photos bios and links to all of the works of all of our guests we've ever had on it is a tremendous resource that has built up over the years and when you spend time there we don't hate that no so what are we going to do until next time mr todd we're going to pray for our country pray for our leader mm -hmm. absolutely how about the ones we don't really like too much yeah yeah we'll do it <laughs> sure why not maybe especially yes. for those people that we don't particularly like right I, you know i don't have any hate in my body today that's good there's no one i don't we should never hate but just don't mention names and all <laughs> all right we'll be but good. i i haven't thought of anybody that i really don't like right now well that's good all yeah, right. it's much, you know, you haven't been watching the news much, so that's good. That's yeah, I've right. taken away from the news a little while. All right, everybody, until next time, be good to each other. Have a great week and God bless. Bye bye. <laughs>